Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Nicole Zazowski. Nicole is an author and marriage and family therapist, and she is talking about her new book, What If It's Wonderful? In today's episode, she says that God's purpose for us is worked out in our struggles, but what if it is also worked out in our dreams and our delighted joy? She talks today about letting go of the habit of practicing disappointment and fully embracing joy, beckoning us to ask ourselves a new question, what if it's wonderful? Well, hello, Nicole, and welcome back to the Love Offering Podcast. I, you are only the, I think you're the third person I've had for the second time. So I'm so excited to, to have you again. Welcome. I'm honored. Thanks. It's so good to be here with you again. So to refresh everyone's memory or to introduce them to you for the first time, because you were in the very beginning um, of, of really the Love Offering podcast. So you originally came on to talk about your book, From Lost to Found, where you explored giving up what you think you want for what will, you, what will set you free. And now you're releasing What If It's Wonderful, which is an invitation to release your fears choose joy and find the courage to celebrate. And you're, you're actually a therapist. So as a therapist, why do you believe that pursuing a life of celebration is so valuable? Oh, so many reasons. Um, you know, in, in my own life and in my counseling practice and um, in my friendships and in family relationships, I started picking up on this this trend, um, I think, especially in recent years, but I don't think this is a new phenomenon, um, that we are hesitant to embrace joy and we are hesitant to celebrate. And there's lots of reasons for this. I think the five main ones that, that bubble up over and over again in my conversations and in my own heart are that Fear often accompanies our joy. So we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, we assume that, oh, if I get my hopes up, I'm going to be disappointed. Um, the other reason is we're waiting for a reason to celebrate. We, we think of celebration as a reward for a goal achieved or a dream realized or some sort of change in circumstance that we're hoping to see. And and that is good and worthy celebration too. I don't want to diminish that. But what I realized is also, you know, especially as, as Christians, we value humility and we're unsure of how to reconcile this invitation to celebrate with our value of humility. Um, and so we worry that our celebration is going to bump into somebody else's pain in a way that's hurtful or unkind or insensitive and we're not sure how to do that well and then finally and this was a huge one for me um i think a lot of us especially as christians are unsure of what it looks like to really connect with god in the light of our joy we we feel his breath on our face so close when we're in pain we know we need him and so we draw close to him um, we lean into his promises because we're so desperate for that truth in our hurt um, and in our longing and waiting. But I realized, and I was sad when I realized this, that as we step into a season of good news and joy, 
that I didn't have any context for what it looked like to connect with God in that place. And so I think some of us are afraid that celebration will take us away from God. And to answer your question, there is so much joy and delight available to us in walking every kind of season we have with God, including our seasons of, of joy and celebration. Yeah. Celebration. It is interesting. I've, I've actually never thought of it as far as in like the true biblical context. I've thought of joy, but not necessarily celebration. And for whatever reason coming to my mind is like David, when he's um, going down the streets and he's like cheering and, you know, dancing like in this elaborate display of celebration and people kind of look at him like what in the world are you doing <laughs> you know and I so actually, it's so foreign right yes I talk about that story in the book and it's a it's an image like you that I return to because his celebration is wild and exuberant and um, I, I never, I think it's Michal, but Saul's daughter, um, some people say Michael, but I think it's technically Michal. Anyway, Saul's daughter is looking upon his behavior and judging him. Like, I think a lot of us would like, this is inappropriate. This is not stately kingly behavior, but what I realized in reading that story was David is so aware that he has been a recipient of God's grace. And when we see our celebration as pure grace and a gift from God and not a reward for our own goodness, I think exuberant celebration is the most natural response to the goodness that we've received in our relationship with Christ. And I have, I'll speak for myself, I have recognized that it's actually a hesitation to celebrate. Like when I am hesitant to celebrate, it's a clue and a sign for me that I have made my celebration about me. Mm. Um, Because if I am purely looking at the opportunities I've been given, the gifts I've been given to use for God's glory, the, the delights in this life that God has blessed me with, if I see those as gifts of grace, celebration's not about me. It's look what God did. Um, it's, it's drawing attention to his glory and the ways that he moves in all of our, our lives. Um, but when I'm hesitant to celebrate or, oh, does that look like I'm drawing attention to myself or when I diminish a compliment or any, any rejection of celebration, it means that I've, I'm usually wrestling because I've made it about myself. Gosh, you know, they say um, a lot of authors write books that then God kind of asks them to live out. And I'm just (laughs) thinking about you, like what a great message to have to live out. Like, Oh, how am I going to celebrate today? Or what am I going to celebrate? Or how am I going to have joy today? I mean, (laughs) that's fun. It's so funny. You say that because people look at my cover Um, which, you know, if you, if you look up the book, you'll see that it's, the cover is dark and that's the courage part. It's, it looks like confetti is being thrown in the, in the dark night sky. Um, and people always ask me if I'm an Enneagram seven, which if you're not familiar with the Enneagram is somebody who is, tends to be the life of the party and is naturally very celebratory and is gifted in those areas. I am 
so, I wish I was, I am so not. <laughs> this celebration does not come naturally to me. And I had to learn to make it a discipline and a practice and learn the value of it not simply being a reflex in our lives, a response to good news, but something that we practice proactively. And so just to piggyback on what you said, I love this invitation <laughs> that I have every day. <laughs> yeah. um, and oh, girl, writing this book, I, the discouragement um, in the year that I wrote the book was no coincidence. I, I think I was given a lot of opportunities to practice uh, the truths that God gave me for these pages. And so I can sit here and say, uh, I have been really blessed by practicing the words he gave me and, and have full confidence in, in the message he gave me. It's interesting. Cause I, I you know, my personality type, to be honest, and I'm not just being self-effacing just for the sake of our false humility. I'm not really a fun person. I really am not. And in fact, I, like I, I married my husband. One of the reasons is because he made me laugh and he helped me to, to have fun. And yeah. so um, I, I, I think that there is so much about this and something I've not even touched on any question I prepared for you yet. <laughs> It's just now hitting me. But I, this is all just coming to me. Um, guiding. I guess, I suppose. Well, and even when we started this conversation, you know, because I, I actually have not received a copy of your book yet. I'm just basing this, you know, back cover and the study I've done of you and your press kit and all the things. But when I was thinking about your title, I thought how often we, when there's some kind of scenario, we go to a worst case scenario or the pessimistic side, as opposed to like, you know, here's this, what, what if today is wonderful instead of, you know, like to be optimistic, do you have anything to say on that? Like that, that mindset shift of, um, what, what if it is wonderful instead of going pessimistically? Yes. I've learned that pessimism is my fancy way of control. I think a lot of us stare into the future and we do ask a lot of what if questions. Um, you know, what if I, what if hope only leads me to disappointment? What if I try and fail? Um, what if I connect, try to connect and I'm rejected? What if I'm vulnerable and um, am let down in some way? You know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and so, and I tell the story of the title in the first chapter of the book where I'm sitting in my friend's kitchen and she has a cute little kitchen sign above her window and just this little wooden sign that says, what if it's actually going to be okay? And, and I was in the midst of telling her about a lot of my fears and a lot of uncertainty about the future and. I kind of echoed that sign back out loud as if it expected an answer. And, and she said, oh, sweetie, what if it's wonderful? And so that it's been, it's the title because it's a phrase that I hang on to, mm. to interrupt that pessimism because, you know, our brain is, is so kind to us <laughs> or it tries to be, and it's trying to protect us by thinking if we're just, if we just keep our expectations low, if we just are prepared, pray for the miracle, but prepare to mourn. That's what pessimism does. 
Um, and cynicism is similar and also a protective measure that would fall into that control category, but it doubts people's motives or in my case, God's like, God is good, but he wouldn't do that for me. You know, those kind of phrases um, can sneak in there along with pessimism. But what the research shows is that we are no more prepared for that disaster or disappointment if we rehearse um, or, or practice that disaster and disappointment. But we do protect ourselves from a lot of delight in the process because our eyes are so cast down that we do not have any vision for what God's provision could look like. We don't have any wonder or curiosity about how he's going to move in the midst of our circumstances. All we can see, you know, Ecclesiastes says, when all you do is look under the sun, which is basically your own human experience, your vision is so narrowed. It's only ever going to show you different angles of the same problem. But when you look to the heavens, you'll see, you'll remember God and all the ways that he can move outside of our own understanding. You know, you, you kind of alluded to this earlier and we both were honest to say, maybe like we're not prone to look for celebration, but you actually call celebration a spiritual discipline. And so yeah. this is really is a new concept for me. I've never thought of that. So I'd love you just to elaborate on how this can be a spiritual discipline for us. Yes, it was a new concept for me. And I have to admit, when I started researching, I was a little bit annoyed um, because I thought, okay, there's enough things in our life that we have to be disciplined about right. that, that, you know, are not, do not come naturally that, that take a lot of hard work. Does celebration really have to be one of them? Like, can't that just be easy? And then I realized when I put celebration, like I said earlier on this other side of a goal achieved or some sort of realization of a dream or a change in my circumstances that I'm hoping to see that happens in life, but it, it takes all the empowerment out of my sense of joy and celebration when I'm just waking up every morning, waiting for a reason or hoping I have a reason to celebrate. And it was, I realized it was one of the reasons I would get so anxious around transitions particularly transitions like a new year where there's a lot of talk about goal setting and dreaming and vision planning and all the things. And I would just come into a new year like, oh, please, I hope that I have a reason to feel joyful and celebrate this year. And it was so empowering to realize, no, this is a practice that is available to us now. When you think, when we look at celebration in the Old Testament, so all these festivals that God's people had, they didn't happen when, you know, the Israelites felt like they had earned it, or they didn't felt they didn't celebrate when it was a good time in their schedule to celebrate. No, they celebrated when it was time to celebrate. It happened in rhythm. And I love that because it takes it out of the reward conversation and into a remembrance conversation of this is a practice of remembering a piece of God's character 
or remembering something he's done, his faithfulness in the past that is true now and will be true in the future. So it's plugging into, it's a, it's a way, a rhythm of connection of thankfulness to God and also remembering his faithfulness and presence with us now that is so much more empowering and so much more of a reason to rejoice than walking into a season and just hoping that that celebration is possible for you. That is so good. The it's not about a reward, but it's about remembrance. And it really is where our eyes is it because we we can always celebrate him because of who who he is and he doesn't change. And you know, something else you talk about is the difference between celebration and escape. So can you kind of talk to us and explain the difference in these two? Yeah, this was um it bumped up against some of my own assumptions about celebration when I first started, you know, when God first started moving in my heart on this topic and I was diving into scripture and research because, you know, when we're in pain as human beings, I'm a restoration therapist. It's a model of therapy that I practice. And we would say that people cope with pain in one, two, three, or all four of four ways. So blame, shame, control, escape. And I was worried that celebration would fall into that escape category. Like, isn't that just checking out? Isn't that just ignoring the pain? You know, we, I'm very much against toxic positivity that, that just says, you know, dismisses pain and says, think happy thoughts and ignore, ignore the hurt. Um, And so I wondered about the difference because I definitely saw a biblical basis and and God's encouragement to us to celebrate. And so what was the difference? So escape takes us out of pain. It's it's, um, a very disempowering uh, approach. So it looks at pain and says, no, there's nothing I can do here. So let's just numb out for a while. And of course, what happens is we just wake up to the very same nightmare that we were trying to avoid. It just kind of kicks the can down the road. Celebration doesn't dismiss pain. It trusts God's promises in the midst of pain. So it is actually an avenue of connection with God, either through remembrance, like we just talked about, Thanksgiving. I, this is one of my favorite practices of celebration because we get to celebrate the gift with the giver and Thanksgiving is our avenue to do that with God and our prayers are with other people. Um, and so it, it draws us in and connects us with our life and other people rather than numbs us. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And, um, Something else that you talk about, well, no, actually, I want to dive in deeper into what does this look like on a daily basis? You know, like as we're trying to really live this out, how have you found you've been able to do that um, each day? Yes. So the last third of the book, Find the Courage to Celebrate, obviously, I continue with biblical story and truth and, and neuroscience research and personal story, but that last third is very practical. And that was important to me because I wanted to answer that question well. And I wanted all of the practices to be doable and available to anyone 
right now, regardless of what kind of season you're walking in. Because I understand that if you're listening to this and you're thinking, ugh, a, a conversation on joy and celebration is not where I am right now. I want to encourage you that it absolutely is, and it will not dismiss your pain. It's, it's practices that help you move through it. So a few of my favorites, um, savoring has become one of my favorite simple practices that hardly takes any time and has made such a difference for me. And what savoring does is it celebrates the ordinary. And the way that you do it is you just ask your five senses what they're going to remember moving forward about this moment. So what am I seeing? What am I smelling? What am I hearing? What am I tasting? And what am I feeling? Side note, bonus, it's, a, it's also a really great anxiety technique because it takes you so into the present where your brain wants to scope out the future or replay the past. Um, it takes you so into the present, but it celebrates what we might be tempted to dismiss or just not, not think of as important. Your brain is very efficient and it only wants to hang on to what it thinks it has to, which unfortunately also leans negative. Um, it, it tends to record negative things over positive things. So that's just helpful to know that we're not fighting on neutral ground, that we have to practice these things of hanging on to what is good. And you can do this in the midst of a really hard day. Maybe you're, you're parenting and it's just been a really hard day as a parent and there's nothing significant seemingly going on and you know, the tantrums are, are flaring and you're arguing with a teenager, whatever that might be. But maybe you look out the window and you're watching the sun hit your five-year-old's hair as he's running around in the grass. And that's a moment that you could savor and hang on to and celebrate. Um, another practice that I mentioned earlier is Thanksgiving. We talk about gratitude a lot. Uh, which is great. Gratitude does increase our joy. There's a reason that we talk about it. It helps us notice and name. So it, it helps us see differently um, as we're looking for things that we're grateful for. It just changes our perspective on our day. And naming it puts a structure around it, puts language to it in a way that's more concrete so we can hang on to it. But what we don't often talk about is that the research says that Thanksgiving, actually expressing the gratitude we feel, rather it's to, whether it's to God or another human being, um, doubles the joy that we gain from gratitude. So actually, you know, writing a note of Thanksgiving for, to a friend for the difference they make in your life and if you can actually read it or, or paraphrase it and say it to them face to face, it increases your joy exponentially to if you just felt those feelings in your heart. And so I really have been trying to incorporate this in my prayers um, because sometimes uh, my prayers often look like um, groans or help or, you know, <laughs> um, 
and those are beautiful and worthy prayers. I am not diminishing that at all. And sometimes that's the only thing we can pray. Uh, but it has brought me a lot of joy to incorporate Thanksgiving in my personal human relationships and also in my relationship with Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we mentioned our personality types. And so you say, you know, that there is maybe um, celebration can vary depending on our celebration types and not to like, I don't know, you know, you, some, some friends are just larger and louder than life. And they're, again, their celebration maybe look very different than mine. So um, how do you yeah. think that they differ from one person to the next? And how would you assure us that it's okay that they do? Yeah. No, I, that was another uh, misconception I had going into exploring this topic is I thought I was like you, Rachel. I'm like, I am not a fun person. And that was not um, similar to what you said. That is not as, I wasn't shaming myself in that statement. It's just really not my gifting. If I'm in a room full of people, that's not what most people are going to say that they know me for. And so for a while, I just sort of disqualified myself from being the celebrator. I thought there's lots of people in my life I'm grateful for that are more natural celebrators. Um, but I, I hope that this book expands our vision for what that looks like. If, if it looks like affirming a friend over coffee and what I just described, telling them the difference that they make in your life, if it looks like Thanksgiving in your prayers, if it looks like um, gift giving, um, and being really thoughtful in that way. Um, having a ritual every week with your family, um, that, that sets you into that rhythm of, of rest and celebration. I know that, um, one of my family's favorite ways of connecting is just digging for delight by looking for sea glass. We do it almost every day. We actually just got back before you and I hopped on. Um, and it is such, it, it's such a beautiful practice for us. Um, when I, so this is a, a practice that started at the beginning of the pandemic and it started as a way to entertain my boys because everything was closed and they're wiggly and wily and <laughs> needed to, to get some wiggles out. And so I assumed it was a way to burn energy on the beach. But two years later, we have thousands of pieces of sea glass in these color coordinated jars. And Rachel, when I look at the, I could cry telling you about it. When I look at those jars, I see the way that God has woven community and friendship and laughter into my family in a season that I think most of us would agree in varying degrees has been hard <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but I see his faithfulness to us because of that daily digging for delight. And so um, that's what celebration usually looks like for me. And when it's a party, and if that's you, thank God for you. We, we, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't want to diminish that at all um, because we need lavish celebrators. We need um, those big boisterous personalities and, and people who laugh easily. I am better because people like that are in my life. So um, but, but it doesn't have to look like that and, and don't count yourself out if that's not you. Yeah. 
Oh, I love that story so much about the glass. And I think it really is. It just reminds me that it's what we look for. You know, were you, were you looking at all the sand and it's beautiful too, but you were looking for the glass and, and like, when you look for it, you will find it because it is there, right? Yes. I was, I was thinking, so funny. You mentioned that I was thinking about that this morning that people always ask me, how do you find so many pieces? And I, I really think there has been a training process on with my eyes. Like I I've learned what it looks like. And this morning it was high tide. So your stretch of beach is much smaller when, when it's high tide. And I probably found 50 pieces Wow! just because my eyes have been so trained. Um, and sometimes I find three and, and that's okay too, but finding what you look for. And, and it doesn't mean that other stuff isn't there or that you don't acknowledge what's hard too. Um, but it has been so good for me to just ask myself in a season that's painful, what, what good things are happening too? Mm-hmm. Um, what, how, what are our stories of victory? Um, what, what are our stories of celebration? You know, in Revelation, it says we will conquer by the blood of the lamb and, and our testimony of victory. And so I think to be in community and sharing these stories of how God is moving in our lives is so important to be, yes, vulnerable with our pain, but also to celebrate what he's doing in other ways too. And I'm just envisioning you and your, your sweet boys, like combing through, you know, all the sand. And like, every time you find one, it's like, look, I found one, look, I found one, you know, like that excitement. And like, what if we did that in our own lives? Like, as we're searching, like, look, I found something. And then what's so beautiful is you're, you're totally living out what you're doing. You've, you've kept a collection of them and you can look at them and remember. And so what do we do? What does that look like if we start to record these beautiful celebrations each and every day to go back and remember, okay, God was faithful. God was there. This was a good part. And like, I'm sure that that builds on itself and makes it almost easier the next time. Right. Yes. Yes. So this is another story in the book, but, um, my mentor is, is he and his wife were so special to me and he was a grad school professor of mine and we stayed in touch. He continued to train me and it's just a really, um, a, a personal mentor as well, just a special, special people in my life. And um, at one point during our dinner conversation, his wife said, you know, I always tell Terry, my mentor, um, that he should keep the thank you notes that he gets from students over the years, just on those hard days and every job we have them, right? <laughs> in life, we have them. And just to be able to have a place to gather those thank you notes and, and those precious relationships and those moments of affirmation. And so he celebrated a really, really amazing award that he got um, in our field. And so as a gift, I gave him a box and wooden box and engraved on the top is the phrase, keep the thank you notes. Um, and it's become a phrase in our lives too. You know, when we have, when somebody affirms us, it's so easy to dismiss that, but to not only receive it, but have a way of capturing and collecting it um, is, is a powerful way of celebrating your joy in your life. 
It causes me to think, Nicole, like, what should I start collecting? Like, I'm in Kentucky and I'm thinking, <laughs> what do we have <laughs> here in nature? I'll be for you, but uh... <laughs> so I'll think through that. But uh, in, in that same regard, my daughter, um, we have just because of the pandemic and school and snow and ice and all the things we've been home a lot lately, it seems like. And um, she was looking back at all of our old pictures and, and she, you know, it's like, oh, do you remember when we did that? Or, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. I'd forgotten how much fun that was. Or look at that. I remember that shirt I used to wear or, and so then like she started showing me and then we'd start to giggle. And then my son would come across and he'd be like, what are y'all looking at? And it was just like, and then my husband comes home from work. We're like, we want to show you this cute video. And it was just it was so life-giving because so often you do forget those beautiful snapshots. And then my daughter, she's like, gosh, we have lived such a good life, haven't we? <laughs> and I thought, we have, why do we forget? It's like, gosh, we, we are so blessed and we forget, right? Yes. No, I think photos are, that's one of their, their greatest gifts is reminding us that even in the midst of really hard seasons, um, oh, beautiful things were happening too. Yeah. Um, and, and God was weaving redemption and hope and beauty into our days, even, even in the midst of a season that may be really hard. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of, of God's word. You know, I know there's so much wisdom in there, but just the recording of, of all those stories to show us um, how to live the life and how people did celebrate. And so I'd love for you to touch on that. I know we talked about David and how he celebrated, but biblically, how is celebration central even to God's character and his mission? Like, what did it look like for God and Jesus to celebrate? Did you dive into any of that? Yeah, well, if I take a 30,000 foot view of scripture, um, I think we see that celebration bookends the Bible and it bookends the life of Jesus. You know, when, when he created us, um, he proclaimed his goodness over his creation and especially us. You know, I think we often start our story with the brokenness because that happens quickly. <laughs> and that is an important part of our understanding of scripture. I'm not diminishing that in any way, but the brokenness makes the most sense in the context of our belovedness, when our belovedness is our starting place. Um, and, and then in Revelation, if we zoom forward, um, we are promised that joy is our inheritance and what is dark today is not going to be dark forever. And so sometimes that's the only thing I can celebrate, Rachel, on a hard day is God promises that what is hard right now and what is excruciatingly painful is not going to be hard forever, that goodness is, is coming. Um, and it's happening now, even if I can't see it, but ultimately he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain. Mm -hmm. And then in the life of Jesus, there's so many beautiful pictures of celebration with his birth. You know, the, the angels rejoicing, the shepherds rushing to visit Jesus dropping everything, the wise men um, giving gifts. You know, there's even John the Baptist leaping for joy in, in Elizabeth's womb, recognizing just the mere presence of Jesus in, in Mary's womb. 
um, we often say that, that Christ came to die for us. And yes, that's part of the story, but that's not why he came. He, he died as a necessary means and he was willing to die on our behalf um, so that he could celebrate uh, being reunited with us um, as, as our bridegroom. So it, there's, there's celebration woven throughout not only Jesus's story, but also the Bible, the story of scripture. Um, and there's so many stories within scripture. I mentioned the Old Testament festivals. Um, goodness, I, I'm trying to, there's, there's so many that taught me um, so much. I'm trying to decide, but the, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, that was a huge learning place of learning for me and my study of celebration where I, I, you know, Elizabeth has this expectant heart. The minute she's told by an angel that she is pregnant after years of infertility and waiting and longing, she'd assumed that that was just not going to be part of her story. And yet this angel comes and says, you are, are pregnant with John the Baptist. Um, and, and she just instantly believes and has so much hope and trust. She said, blessed is, she said this to Mary, but blessed is she who trusts God's promises are true for her. Um, and I'm paraphrasing there, but it's in Luke one, if you want to read the whole story. And in contrast, we see that Zechariah wanted the proof before he was willing to trust the promise. And it's hard to trust God's promises when you've experienced so much pain. So I probably, while I, I want to cultivate a heart like Elizabeth, and I'm working on that um, and asking God to do some work there in my life, I really relate to Zechariah. <laughs> but what I love about the story is God's faithfulness to Zechariah does not depend on his faith that he still gets to be the father of John the Baptist. Um, and he does trust and believe he comes to that place. But there's just a lot of joy to be had when we can trust God's promises um, like Elizabeth was able to do. And well, so, and then even beyond that, I'm thinking when then she found out that Mary was also expecting, then yeah. her celebration and joy rubbed off even on Mary and on Mary's assignment assignment. And so I just am thinking about as we start to cultivate the celebration and joy, the contagiousness of that for other people. And so I guess as, as we're kind of um, closing in so many ways, how do, you, how do you think that we can start to celebrate others? And, and why is community so important in this endeavor? Kind of like Elizabeth was for Mary and celebrating with one another. Yeah, so um, kara is the Greek word for joy that Paul uses in the New Testament, and he uses it in a few different ways, but one of the contexts that he uses it in is that joy increases when it's shared. Um, sharing good news increases our joy, and so having a place in your community um, where there's room and space to share your stories of celebration. Um, and you can not only witness how God is moving in so many people's lives, but you also get to share how he's moving in yours. 
And there is a contagiousness to it. And again, we're also leaving lots of space for hurt and questions and we're not eliminating those from the conversation, but we are introducing a place for celebration as well. Um, and certainly sharing the good news, the gospel um, is going to increase our joy as well, which Paul talks about. Um, and I think just celebrating each other. Don't Often we feel grateful for somebody, but we don't tell them. Um, we, we're, we don't express it with thanksgiving or we don't take the time. It's vulnerable. Joy is the most vulnerable feeling we feel contrary to what we might think. And so receiving and giving affirmation in community is such an important piece of celebration um, because no, nobody has all the gifts. Um, so community helps us see that all the ways that God shows up for us when we all show up and, and celebrate each other. So those would be just a few ways that I think community is so helpful and important. I'm trying to think, Nicole, if I've asked you this question before, because it's a question that I ask all my guests, but I think in the beginning when I started this podcast, I said, like, who who has been a love offering to you? Um, but now I've kind of switched it. So okay. regardless, based on today's conversation, because I know we talked about from lost to fan last time. So now we're talking about what if it's wonderful and celebration and joy and all the things. So how can we best be love offerings? What would be your encouragement for us today? to take this message and, and really live it out. Yes, I have so many answers coming to my mind. I'm, I'm, it's hard to pick one, but I think, I think that affirmation, giving and receiving affirmation, um, when, when somebody is a love offering to you and names a gift that they see in you or ways that they're grateful for you, just being able to say, thank you, I received that in some, um, in some way, shape or form. And then actually expressing the thankfulness that you feel um, to to other people and the difference that they make in your life and celebrating the people that God has placed in your path. Yeah, yeah, because so many times I think, I, I don't know, I think what's sticking with me so much from today's conversation is, is we'll find it if we look for it because it is there. There is somebody or something worthy of celebration. And if you can't yet find it, we can celebrate the Lord for sure. So um, Nicole, how can we stay connected with you? Yes, I love hearing from readers and listeners. So please reach out. I try to respond to every message. I'm sure I don't do that perfectly, but I would love to hear from you. Uh, my website's a great place to reach out. Uh, just Nicole Zazowski, N-I-C-O-L-E-Z-A-S-O-W-S-K-I.com. And Instagram is the social media platform I hang out the most. I'm just at Nicole Zazowski there. Well, thank you so much for being my guest again. You are just a joy and a pleasure um, just to always have on. You're a delight. So thank you so much for just your, your practical wisdom and helping us to see um, this spiritual discipline of celebration and joy that um, I pray that we all institute. This is a fun one. This was a really good conversation, something fun to focus on. And thank you for helping us to consider what if it is wonderful. Oh, thanks so much for having me, friend. It was always fun to talk with you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Nicole Zazowski. We hope that today was a celebration and it encouraged you to celebrate yourself. 
This week, our love offering is to give affirmation. Nicole said that we should express our thanksgiving and gratitude for others in our lives. If you are interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams Author on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I would love to connect with you there. I'd also love to connect with you over on the Love Offering Facebook community. There each week we dive in deeper into each podcast episode, into the blog series, and we encourage one another to live faithfully and love fully. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that just so more women can find this Love Offering message. And if you have already done those things, subscribed, rated, and reviewed, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to do that. All of this information can be found at rachelkadams.com. There you can sign up to receive the weekly Love Offering newsletter, and all of this information can go straight to your inbox each week. Next week, my guest is Ricky and Krista Ortez. They are on the show talking about their own Red Sea, that they needed God to work a miracle on their behalf. And we all have those situations where we are facing um, a problem that seems impossible. But they are on the show encouraging us to be still and watch God work on our behalf. I can't wait for you to tune in again then. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.